Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Alamo Draft House and Season 10 of Airtime. Uh, I will introduce our fearless leader, Miss Kitty Goddard. Thank you, David. We're so glad all of you all are here tonight, and I just wanted to share that as we are entering this, this evening's interview, which is our second to the last airtime event for Season 10, uh, this, was, this one is really special. And so for those of you who were not at airtime seven years ago, how many of you were not there seven years ago? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Christian was our guest artist at that airtime. We were at that time sharing uh, a space with a local theater group, and uh, they were very generous with having us be in their space for a while, uh, several times during the year. And uh, so this will be a huge step forward for not only us, but for Christian, because there's this big screen behind us. <laughs> and also, Christian has been very busy in the past seven years. So I think it's a, you're in for a real treat to hear about Christian's accomplishments in the cartoon world and illustrator of graphic novels, and Air is delighted to welcome him back. Um, I also wanted to say thank you to the City of Richardson Cultural Arts Commission for their underwriting of this event, as well as Eric and Deanna Wise of Weltstar Advisors. Uh, so now I turn it over to you, David. Thanks. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Today is March 10th, 2020. Please help me welcome our guest for this evening, Mr. Christian Donaldson. So in, in a few minutes, we're going to be uh, seeing uh, some images from one, of your, from one of your most recent projects. But in the meantime, um, I mean, we're, in, we're obviously going to talk a lot about your work in comic, as in comic books and graphic novels and your work as an artist or illustrator. Um, but before you do that, I mean, many folks, including me, may not be really familiar with the really very interesting and long history of of comic books and, and graphic novels. Tell us, tell us your favorite parts of it. And uh, Well, I got my very first comic book in an Easter basket when I was maybe like seven years old, and it was, uh, it was a Spider-Man uh, comic book from the Craven's Last Hunt arc, which is like probably a little bit much for a seven-year-old. Uh, but yeah, I instantly was like super intrigued by all things Spider-Man. Specifically, Spider-Man in the in the black costume, like that was my thing, uh, and it's weird. I still have that Easter basket, and uh, I'm really like uh, cautious about what I put in it for my son, because <laughs> uh, it, it seemed to have worked some weird magic in my life. Um, yeah, I uh, I've been reading comics, uh, drawing comics my entire life. I was born in 1980, so I, I came up on. Uh, a steady diet of Marvel comics before the big uh, image revolution happened, which was, you know, all the best uh, Marvel artists broke off and started their own company in the 90s called Image. And that's that was kind of going into my teen years what uh, kind of kept me super interested in the art form, uh, all the way up to when I decided to uh, study it at school, which uh, I did. I went to SCAD uh, in Savannah, Georgia, uh, and got uh, a degree in sequential storytelling uh, which, you know, uh, is more than just purely comic books. You know, it encompasses, uh, you know, storyboards, uh, a, a, lot of type, a lot of types of uh, pre-production 
that uh, are applicable for film uh, and animation. Um, but I've always been interested in 3D animation and 3D forms, like, like what we're going to see in this film tonight. So what's the, what's the difference between what we'll see tonight, which is a graphic novel, and the comic books that we grew up with? Oh, well, so, uh, you know, the, 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 the hand-drawn 2D comic is like, that's the standard. That's kind of, you know, what most people uh, associate with comic books. Each artist has their own individual hand-drawn style uh, that they develop over years and years and years. Uh, more people, uh, it used to be divided up into uh, a penciler and an inker and a colorist, but now a lot of people are inking themselves and coloring themselves. So there's kind of a little bit more of a, a, a single auteur's kind of stylistic take on what is a comic book now. Uh, and that's sort of ushered in a new age of graphic novels, which, uh, you know, uh, can be anything from autobiographical works like Persepolis, uh, you know, which also got a, an animated feature film, um, to, uh, you know, um, I mean, graphic novels and trades, so it could be the, the latest Hellboy collection or something, you know, if, if it's collected and it's thick and it tells the whole story, uh, you know, that's a graphic novel. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of really cool, uh, nods to like what a graphic novel is stylistically in this film, which is one of the reasons that it's one of my favorite. It is, it is my favorite superhero film, my favorite Marvel film, one of my favorite fil like films. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's saying a lot. So, so a graphic novel is a whole story, whereas a, a comic book is just one episode. Uh, yeah, like a, 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 a serialized comic, you know, it could go, it has arcs, you know, it could be a five-issue arc, a six-issue arc. Um, but they they tend to kind of go for long runs, but uh, uh, kind of what you consider like a motion picture release, like that hour and a half, two hour, you know, film, that's a graphic novel. Unless it's Star Wars, and then you right. have <laughs> seven episodes. I, I have a really dumb or joke Lord to tell of, about. <laughs> uh, after we watched the, the last, the most recent Star Wars film, I was like, honey, I know how long it takes to tell a story now. 42 years. <laughs> yep. Dumb. That's, that's good. Um, so, uh, so the, uh, the, the frames are playing oh, cool. now. Tell, yeah. us, tell us what we're seeing up okay, here. Okay, so this is uh, from my, my most recent book. Uh, can we turn the light off? Is that cool? Oh, okay. Oh, oh anyway, you guys will get the idea. Your so, most recent book, which is uh, it's called, called it's called The Dark, and it's available on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. So if and they want clearer pictures, they can just go to Amazon. Yeah, you can go to Amazon, look up The Dark. <laughs> Comicsology is like the keyword because that's the publisher. Um, and so this was an original for Comicsology, and it was conceived to be a 100-page graphic novel, new content, new characters, new story, um, essentially to you know start to bring more original titles to their company. So normally they run digital versions of everyone's comics, uh, but in 2018 they launched an initiative to uh, start doing original content, and I was uh, included in the first wave. So I kind of got included in that, that first wave gamble. So I'm excited to be part of something new. Uh, it's kind of a new way to read uh, and, and to have comics distributed. Like when you, uh, when you get... A, uh, a live version of this from Comixology and read it on your tablet, 
Uh, it has a thing called guided view, which is where the page will open on your tablet, but then you can double click on any panel and the panel will rotate uh, and like fill the screen. And then you can just go through panel to panel. So it's the first time that I've ever had like art from a page being shown like as individual cuts, individual frames that you that you you know view one at a time, and so it gives it this weird little animated kind of feel to it. Uh, it has a nice flow. Um, I worked on this uh, project uh, all of 2018, well, like half of 2018 and all of 2019, uh, and it came out in late 2019. Uh, so it's still still out there, still pretty fresh, uh, really easy to find. Um, so yeah, I encourage anyone uh, who's just interested in like a new thing that doesn't have a lot of uh, strings attached to it. Like you're not going to have to, you know, invest in like subsequent volumes and stuff. This is just our story, and uh, and here it is. And there's about uh, I don't know a bunch of slides you guys can see here tonight. So uh, so you drew every single one of these frames. Yes. Over the course of a year and a half. Yes. Uh, and um, the thing that you're seeing up here is that like the film that we're gonna watch tonight, every single character and every single thing that you see in here is 3D model. So it looks drawn, it for all intents and purposes is stylized like a comic, but it's, it was made, or you know, uh, modeled at least uh, in 3D, um, each character posed per instance and shot, you know, essentially framed and shot exactly to the size and dimension that you see. I didn't scale anything to, like, that. no art was scaled to fit into any frames. Each image was made to the pixel to fit perfectly in the page. So obviously you didn't start at this level. So coming out of school in, in Georgia, yeah. what, were your, what were your first gigs? Uh, okay, so uh, weirdly enough, my first gig was actually a Marvel... Spider-Man tie-in thing. Uh, so, you know, Spider-Man was introduced in Amazing Fantasy number 15. Uh, and I don't know the year, I'm sorry. It's been a long time since survey of, uh, se of sequential class. Uh, but um, Marvel in 2005 did a relaunch of Amazing Fantasy. And it ran for, I think, I'm not, I don't know how many issues it ran, but they ran in another issue 15. And so, as a nod to Spider-Man's origin, uh, they did a bunch of new short stories with new characters. Because uh, it was an anthology. Amazing Fantasy is an anthology. So they did a new type of anthology to showcase new Marvel characters. So I did a, a short story that was eight pages. I did all the color and the art. And it was about a character called Positron. So Posit this is basically like Positron was getting a moment to shine. And if, like, execs voted on Positron, you'd see Positron. Uh, it, it, this was all we got, but it was nice. It was fun. And uh, it was, you know, uh, it was nice to be included in a, basically an, an issue that was meant to honor the origin of Spider-Man. Like, the, the cover was an homage, so it looked like the famous image of Spider-Man swinging in. But it had all the little new characters sort of, like, interspersed within the, the background and the cityscape up on the rooftops and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it, it was cool. It was a cool experience. That was my first, I guess, like real comic publishing work. After that, there was a, a bunch of creator-owned stuff. So I did a book called Supermarket for a company called IDW. And that was a bit of like my breakaway. That was like where people 
like, uh, you know, more than a few thousand people got to see my stuff, and I sort of got to, you know, go a few con seasons off of, off of that book, and uh, I did that one right when I moved to Dallas, so, like, I, I got, to, got to, through that book, sort of forge relationships with, like, the shops in Dallas and in Austin doing signings and stuff like that, uh, and some other stuff from there. Uh, uh, so, I'm pretty sure I know what you just said, but you said, we made it through a few con seasons. Oh, <laughs> oh, uh, just, you know... Uh, the convention season, yeah. So you know, kind of. Are you talking about start, Comic Con? That's yeah, the start, starts big. in starts in March. I mean, they're they're year round now, oh, but okay. yeah, but you know, summer's the big, the big time. Um, yeah, I've been to San Diego Comic Con quite a few times. I really enjoy it, uh, and recently went to New York Comic Con and had a great time there. So, what is it that the seven year old you that what what drew you to Spider Man, or was it just because it was your first? It was special. Well, yeah, it was it was special because it was like presented to me, uh, and I, there was something about the sleekness of the of Spider Man in his black suit, and then the like the way he was so acrobatic and like how, you know, he'd be drawn, you know, contorted in all these strange ways and like hanging up in the corner, you know, and, you know, you'd see him upside down, you'd see him right side up, he's on a wall, he's, you know, I, I just, I, I thought he was just really cool. There was something about him that was, that was really intriguing. Uh, but yeah, I think it was that black suit with those big white eyes and that, and that white logo. That just, it just got, something about it got me. So was there ever a point before Supermarket or Spider-Man where you like, Oh my word! What have I gotten myself into? Uh, uh, yeah, probably sometime around like junior year of college, where <laughs> there's like a blister forming on my finger, and like I hadn't slept in a week and a half, just being like, "Oh yeah, this is a lot of hard work. Like this is a serious craft, and like only only by like really devoting yourself to it are you gonna kind of find any purchase in it, you know?" So did you in in school and in college? Did you learn in Real pen and ink, or did you? Yeah, start I, right I, with I did. I um, uh, I didn't really have any personal access to a computer like my first two years of college. Uh, so my my second year of college, which was where we started to get into our uh, our classes for our major, uh, I lived in the same dorm house that had the computer lab that had probably like 120, you know, computers like like lined up. Uh, and so this is 2001 or 2002. 2001, uh, and uh, I just started messing around with Photoshop. Uh, I, I would scan my own artwork. Like, I, I, I didn't ink my stuff early on. I would just pencil it really dark, and I would scan it in, and I would do, go take it, sit in the lab, and color it with a mouse in Photoshop. And uh, I started, you know, adding, like, all of the accoutrement, like the lens flares and static, you know, static look and, like, all, all these little, like, textured uh, filtered looks that, you know, uh, everyone, uh, when they first get uh, familiar with Photoshop, they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe everything I can do. So you click everything to try everything. Uh, so yeah, I, I was just really into like what digital techniques could, could kind of bring to the, the above and beyond just the process of drawing. Okay, so you've talked about drawing, you've talked about coloring, and I have a question later about who all was on the team, but why don't you talk about, can you talk about the... Uh who are the, what are the roles that are put together in putting something like this or yeah, even something more simple? Together? So, so uh, with this comic, uh, it started with uh, two people, Mark Sable, which is the writer and the co-creator, and myself. So the two of us are, uh, before he ever wrote a script, he basically was like, let's do this together. 
I'm going to write it. Here's some notes. This is like what the main characters are kind of about. This is the general feel. And so it was, you know, military espionage, cyberpunk, spy thriller with a biotechnological kind of, uh, you know, uh, post uh, rolling blackouts, power grid failures, just a little bit of like a not quite post-apocalyptic, like I never felt like I was in the post-apocalypse when I was working on it, but it's like, it, it's basically like a, 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 a post-scenario military thriller. Uh, and I was like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Like, I was like, uh, okay, we got the super soldier with the uh, synthetic eyes. So uh, the main character is a guy named Carver. He was a Marine. Uh, his eyes got burned out, and they got replaced by uh, like biosynthetic replacements, courtesy of the U.S. military. And so he's uh, basically on the hook for them. So he has to start hunting people and working for them, even though he he's just he wants to be out. So he starts tracking this girl, who's basically a, a biohacking spy, who has like uh, some you know inf you know valuable stuff on board. Uh, and so they they basically have this kind of a cat and mouse thing through the United States and then they eventually kind of team up and then they go and uh, go to Europe for a while. And I don't know, it's just a really interesting globe hopping kind of, kind of like a James Bond kind of thing, you know? So, but you had, it sounds like you had significant oh. input into the story. Yeah, uh, like early on before he had written the script, when, he, when we were at that stage where we kind of knew what we were dealing with, I started doing concepts so even before we had the full, the, you know, the full script, I had already done a bunch of 3D sets. So, uh, you know, picture, say, we're outside in a city. I'm going to take from my stable of models the buildings I like, the little city accoutrements I like, and I make sort of like a stage, you know, Paramount backlot uh, kind of little set uh, that's real easy to access and look at. Look at it, you know, from multiple angles. You get down on the human scale. Uh, and then I, uh, I didn't do a ton of character pre-production before this book. I did a lot of that while we were working on the book, but I did a lot of environmental concept beforehand. So a lot of the places that we ended up going in the book were already done and waiting, ready to be opened. Things like this, you know, this is meant to be uh, a city in China in the future. Uh, so, you know, each building is its own, starts out as its own little entity uh, not in relationship to any of the other, and then I start cutting and pasting them into the same set. Same thing with, like, see the rows of missiles down at the bottom, the plane and the hangar. The hangar is one thing, the plane is another, the missiles are a group, so if I want to do a line of missiles, I go clone, 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 clone. The Jeep, you know, uh, every, every little thing you see here has been sourced at one point or another, but what I do is I group them. See, like, these buildings here in the background? You know, they become these, these little contain groups and so I end up with like hey I have 12 groups and then I start using those groups and you can repeat them you can rotate them you can flip them and to get more variety uh, and I, I, I save a save a file for each panel and just basically fill each panel and and shoot it and cut it and so once you draw it then someone else comes in and yeah, I, color? I do the black and white, and so this book was colored by Lee Lowrich, who's like a, 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 a fantastic, in my opinion, he's like the best colorist in comic. Like, he's great. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff for everyone. He's probably doing, you know, 12 books between Marvel and DC right now. He's just a very busy guy, but like uh, colorists can work on quite a few things at a time. 
Um, but he, he and I have been friends forever. I actually used to work for him uh, back in Savannah. I worked in his studio as an assistant. So now, finally, all these years later, he's uh, partnering, you know, working with me, covering my stuff. And it's just kind of nice. It's kind of cool. You know, it's like keeping it in the family kind of. Uh, and, yeah, I just felt super lucky that he was the person who ended up doing colors on this. So uh, when people are, when you're coming up in this industry or, or, or you, you find excitement in it, do people gravitate to one area? Some people are going to be writers, some people are going to be uh, the black and white folks, some people are going to be the color folks. Uh, yeah, uh, so, yeah. Um, it, it really does depend. Like I've known a lot of people who went into comics to be an artist, but then liked, liked being a colorist, and also liked kind of the flexibility of being a colorist, being able to work on multiple things with multiple people at a time, and you know, you, you end up being able to kind of bill, bill more, you know, to more publishers at a time. So some people I know, purely from like a craft and business side, have become colorists because it's like a good, it's like a good role to play, you know? Um, I've known quite a few people who uh, are artists who, you know, don't get an opportunity to write their stuff until later in their career. Uh, that, and then they begin writing stuff for themselves and doing more things, kind of personal projects, bringing those out. It's, like, kind of hard to, like, uh, get to that point with a publisher. Like, you have to have done other stuff, mm -hmm. you know, kind of around the industry before you get, like, an opportunity to necessarily write and draw your own, like, dream projects. Clint Eastwood does a lot of acting before he ever has exactly. a show that yeah. he wrote, <laughs> and then even further before he has a show he wrote and directed yes. and yeah. starred in. And, and he, had to, he had to show up and do all those jobs, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's very similar. Okay, so, so, the, so the, and you, you've, you've touched on this as, as we've been talking, and it was certainly a lot of what we spoke about yesterday. But I, th I think most people, certainly my understanding of how an illustrator works is you, you, you I think the term you used was they, uh, they're drawing a, a, a dream. They're basically reproducing something, a picture yeah. in their mind. And, and there are illustrators who work yeah. like that. It, it's, it's a, it's uh, w with no reference, you're, you know, you're drawing uh, like a memory of what you think something looks like. Uh, and I did that for a very long time. Um, and then there's the, the, this other thing where people use reference, and so people will use, sometimes it's like it, only in emergencies will people use photographic reference for, say, a person. You know, say it's a, something really complicated like uh, someone throwing a baseball pitch, you know, and you've got a weird twist to the body, and where's the leg go? You know, like you can certainly sit and start to draw your stick, you know, armature, and then rough that up and make a full drawing. Or you can go on Google and just like get an image of what a real picture looks like winding it up and then you sort of trace over that. And so a lot of people do that. A lot of people like build their whole books on being able to do that. Uh, like I, I, there's people who they grab a digital camera with a couple friends and they go out and they shoot the whole comic before the guy sits and draws the comic. Uh, just to get all the blocking, all the kind of general like body relationships in space. Uh, and I had done some of that earlier on in my career, but I found it to be really limiting and daunting, and I actually spent more time looking for a ref than I maybe would have spent just drawing it. Uh, and I just kind of wasn't too pleased with either way. 
And so that's when I started developing the, the 3D process, which really, it didn't come together to this degree where the characters were so believable as comic characters until like spring of 2018, right before this book started. I'd been playing with it for a long time, doing a lot of sculpts, and uh, some people know ZBrush, like I was doing a lot of work in ZBrush, uh, but then like once, once I started figuring out how to do the characters this way, they're pre-rigged characters, each one is stylized, sculpted, and dressed to, to be their own individual character. Um, so, yeah. so tell us, so you mentioned the Genesis 8. Oh yeah, so, so that, that's that's where it starts. Yeah. So you that's, that's a you say for this book I'm working on, I know I need a an evil, I need a villain. Right. So start with the Genesis Eight and what? Uh, okay. Well, so first tell us what a Genesis Eight is. So it's a po it's a poser and Daz format model that it's like it's like the universal human. There's the male and the female, and they start out very basic. They're think of like a mannequin, uh, and they're not. They're not like amazing to look at out of the box. They're pretty generic. They don't have a lot of personality or life. But once you start, uh, there, there's a whole suite of, you know, it, it's all coded sculpting. So you, you're able to like pull, pull, the, pull the length of the nose, pull the depth of the brow. You, st you start to pull things essentially like, like putty uh, until you get, you know, the faces you want, until you get, uh, you know, uh, 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 like, we're, I wish we had a good villain on the screen right now. But, uh, yeah, so, like, this guy here, like, that's not what a Genesis 8 looks like, you know. That's what Carver looks like after I, you know, uh, work on a Genesis 8 for a few hours and try a few different outfits. Uh, and I drew all the hair after the fact. So there was a point where, like, all of these characters were in the final art, like, everything done, all the texture, all the lighting, everything done, but they were still bald. And then I would uh, basically mask a little hair mask in Photoshop and just kind of draw a little hair wig, basically. But uh, on my new one that I'm working on now, all the hair is modeled. So. So, so it's not like you're just drawing frame after frame of Steamboat Willie or, or, or even Spider-Man. No. You're actually taking it's the key. a piece it's, of it's clay. It's the keyframes. Yeah. You're, you're taking a piece of clay and molding it. For, for keyframes, yeah. for storytelling, yeah. So, like, uh, you know... Uh, the, you know, a, a keyframe in animation, that's that, that's that, like, point where the movement, like, uh, is at its, like, most extent, you know? That's a keyframe. So, like, that, that image of the pitcher throwing the pitch, you know, that's a keyframe. Uh, and then the, the in-between frames are all the, the wind-up, the release, the ball going on, you know, like, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a very, like, time, and that, like, I've never... I've been scared. I'm scared of animation. Like, I really am. Like, uh, I was always interested in, like, 3D art and what it looked like, you know, but I, I was uh, way too scared to deal with animation in any way. Like, uh, so I get to do kind of the parts of animation that I like, which is the, the kind of the model development, but then that, that keyframe, key image, you know, shot, shot, shot storytelling of comics is, is you know, the way I channel it, and so that's kind of me getting you know both of the things that I want in order to make a piece of work like this. So you, you so then you're basically creating your cast of characters. Yeah, you know what the hero looks like. You know what the villain looks like. Totally. You have the evil biohacker woman. Yeah, and so like a uh, picture, uh, picture an action figure in its plastic case, 
at just like standing, you know, standing stock still, like that is a file. That is a file you save. That is like the neutral character, and like you never mess with that. You open it, copy it, pose it, save that, and then like once you once you have that to look at, then you just find your shot. You know, and there's sometimes where it's like, I've done the background first, and I need to match the characters to the background. But more often, I do the character first, match the background to the character as far as the perspective and stuff. But goes. you'd also have an inventory of backgrounds and all kinds of stuff, props if, if, and if, missiles and tanks. If and if I if I uh, lost all access to the internet, I could just off my library, I could make comics for the rest of my life. Hmm. Yeah, like uh, at this point, I have like. Just so much stuff. So yeah, like uh, one thing I did when we were starting this book before the script was even finished is I, I sent Mark basically like items out of my catalog. Like here, here is a gun. Here is a you know here here's a jeep. Here's a you know like these are things which could feature into the book. So so essentially I would pull hero props or like you know master files and start to you segregate them off for your production from your kind of broader library. Now, is there a Genesis 8 for buildings or, uh, or not, cars? Not or? so much. That's a little bit more of just a free wheeling sourcing. Uh, you know, I, I use, uh, you know, I use Google SketchUp a lot, so there's a lot of stuff in the, the SketchUp warehouse. There's sort of like, it's a little bit lower quality than if you were to buy, uh, like, uh, like buy commercial uh, models, like from TurboSquid or CG Trader or something. Uh, you got to pay for quality, you know, like, uh, and I'm getting a little bit more into that, like kind of, you know, sourcing like primo models that people have made, like as artists, like their art is to make these models, you know, and then because it's being sold commercially, once you obtain it, you're free from a licensing standpoint to use it in any work, you know, that you need. Uh, but, you know, for, uh, you can get by with all free stuff, mm -hmm. you know. There's enough polygons out there <laughs> sorted and ready to, to access uh, online. So this is the point in the conversation last night when we were talking about all this where I got a huge light bulb and it got really exciting for me because my background is in theater and directing theater and I'm like, this is just like directing a show. You're going to have a set designer, you're going to have a costume designer, you're going to cast it, you're going to have these characters and then you're going to tell the story, you're going to pose them and then move them through a story. And then, then he brought up this whole idea of, well, you can even change the, uh, the viewpoint of how you're looking at it. And I was like, that's like sitting in different parts of the house. And then it became this real weird <laughs> Westworld moment yeah. <laughs> of, of theater becoming Westworld because yeah. all of his people don't die and they, they don't need lunch breaks. We're, we're, we're all heading for some sort of like experiential singularity i don't know what it's going to be but like uh when i'm riding a hoverboard with like vr glasses on and i'm like going through an, an ancient uh simulation of a bygone era i'll be just be like i'm home i've got <laughs> i've got everything here now uh but yeah uh, we, we one thing we talked about yesterday is we talked about growing up near disney yes, the idea yes, of yes. going through those rides mm -hmm. uh and how that became like a a, a thing that's always sort of been a part of, of my, I guess, creative eye, that idea of you're on rails, you're going through the ride, and you're seeing 
you know, these stations essentially that are, that are moments of storytelling that are beats in a story. And so I like, I like that, like that to me, going through a good comic, especially kind of like the way you would read this comic on the guided view, plug, but like uh, it, it feels a little bit like that. You're on, you're on a guided experience. But, but that's actually an ancient storytelling. I mean, that's like the stations of the cross in a church. Yeah. You, I mean, for the people who can't read, you go into the church and you see 12 pictures of the story of Christ yeah. told in pictures, and that's, it's like a comic book yeah, in key, the church. Yeah, key moments, storytelling, yeah. yeah. Uh. <laughs> it's, it's just fascinating. So, um, so one of the other th- interesting things we talked about was, and, and this is, I think, as, and you, you, you used a term called uncanny valley, which yeah. I'll have you tell us what that is, but but the notion that it as it gets closer and closer to real, there's still something about the live experience. There's still something about our brains yeah. that can tell the difference. So it, you'll see the stuff that 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 we've been looking on looking at on the screen. So I I start with models that are of a similar complexity and density of what you might see in the movie we're gonna watch, but the approach is very different in that they're going fully rendered and lit with a, a, a team of you know, highly skilled filmmakers, uh, you know, all kinds of animators doing all kinds of jobs, but then I actually do a reductive thing where I take it back to, the, to black and white, high contrast, to get the most essential information out of it. I basically ring like the gray polygon modeling like I ring it up to like full high contrast to get something super sharp, whereas they do you know almost like you know God paint you know it's just every single thing, every particle, every light source it's all orchestrated like really beautifully and really deliberately, uh, but it starts kind of with the same kernel, but if you don't diverge away from trying to emulate real people, at least at this point, you, you end up, if you're trying to make the people look too real, you end up in the uncanny valley where they look scary. Uh, so it's good to depart, you know, like it's good to cartoon. It's good to like stylize things to a degree where they're a little bit unrecognizable, but they're familiar. Uh, and that's how you just sort of like uh, ride the, the edges of the uncanny valley. Uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's it, it's it, there's still a lot to be done. Is there an example of uncanny valley in Polar Express? Polar, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that that yeah, is that Polar is sort Express. of like a, a very like known example of the uncanny valley. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That that's kind of you just want to end up you know not be in that in that uh, spot. I guess that's why then real actors play all the folks in Westworld. Yeah, <laughs> for for now. But yeah, weirdly enough, uh, a lot of the uh, more interesting 3D character work that I've been seeing that's not in entertainment is like stuff coming out of the corporate world, like Samsung and uh, there's some other companies, some car company, Lexus, uh, where they're dealing with like virtual humans, almost like like uh, 3D modeled spokespeople, kind of, you know. Uh, that look good in the in the cars, look you know like instead of necessarily like booking models and you know having like people on a set like it's just 
we can integrate into our brand, you know, uh, aesthetic. We can introduce people quickly. Uh, and then the idea of having sort of like, uh, you know, your, your 3D model host, your, your person that like presents you things, a spokesperson. So there's a lot of that that's sort of happening right now that I think is kind of interesting. And that could be the that could be the next generation of your career. Yeah, who know, I mean, who knows? Folks who have yeah. this talent to. So uh, I, I like to stay uh, kind of on, you know, the wave of the technology wherever it's going to go. Like I don't really want to exclude anything at this point. Like I have things that I definitely like, you know, uh, gravitate towards, but like. I, I, I'm willing to go wherever this stuff is going so <laughs> to a degree. So, so finishing up on the yeah. un Uncanny Valley, you, you told a, 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 an anecdote about Penn and Teller, which I thought was pretty brilliant. Oh, uh, well, talking about, like, uh, this, this, this film that we're going to see, uh, it took a really long time. Uh, not, a, not, like, a really long time, but longer than like a, a typical 3D animated film takes because they actually like invented the whole workflow and pipeline that they, that they used as they went to make something totally new. So like they basically uh, turned their back on a lot of tried and true out of the box animation techniques uh, and software techniques that were readily available instead focusing on making totally new processes uh, and like that's something I, I am really interested in and I kind of do like with my work you know like totally <laughs> learn all this stuff and then throw it out learn something totally new uh, and what that often leads to is people being like well let me see it let me see it let me see it and uh, there, there's this uh, or, or like where, where is it we need it now give it to me give it to me we need the work we need the work and I've sort of, not that I, you know, don't understand the need to meet a deadline, but, like, I've resolved myself to, like, you know, it, it, don't beat yourself up. You, you know, you're not slow. You're not a bad artist. Sometimes this stuff just takes as long as it takes because, uh, and Penn Jillette said this thing once, which I, which I thought was great, uh, which was you don't show someone a 90% done magic trick. It's not a magic trick. Like, you, you have to show them a 100% done magic trick or the whole thing is just is just it's nothing uh and so that's kind of like it, it, it'll be like that with my work like only when you know the the lighting is just so and like the contrast is just right and you know everything is just everything's just perfect like until it's right there it, it, i don't want anyone to see it and i don't want it to leave my desk and like that's kind of my my thing <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to make that work, you know, with my uh, publishers and such. But <laughs> so, so obviously there have been comic books for decades that have been made into movies, but I was interested to read that there's also been a number of graphic novels that have been turned into movies. The, the Watch, Watchmen, which is currently on, and, and has a movie as well, um, The 300, yeah. Which was fascinating. And then the one I was super surprised was The Road to Perdition, mm -hmm. which I just thought was a cool, yeah. dramatic movie. The History um, of Violence is another one that, like, no one knew it, it was a comic. Yeah. So is there any that have particularly inspired you? How, how do you think uh, graphic novels, do they, do they automatically get 
lend themselves to movies, or is it just I, 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 another way of adapting? Uh, it, it, it's another. It, it's another. Well, one, it's a commercial avenue. You know, when 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 someone takes uh, notice of of your graphic novel uh, and thinks that it would be good for an adaptation, it starts this whole machinery of getting that. <laughs> you know, through 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 the gears, basically, uh, and that takes you know, years and years, um, you're going to see a lot more. I mean, like, there are giant superhero movies, you know, Marvel, DC, but you're going to see more comic adaptations probably serialized as television shows. Like, there's just so much need for content. There's, there's like, so many more new streaming services coming around. So, like, there, there's no, uh, you know, there's no end to, like, how much content people are going to need. And, like, uh, one thing about a graphic novel is it because it's finite, you know, and because you can, you can quantify it and digest it, uh, it's a really easy document that, like, a producer can show to people, take around, you know. Like, I I've never had anything made, but I know for a fact that my books have been, like, on desks, you know, while people have been making movies. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, people will, like, slap me on the back at a con and be like, hey, when I was making that thing, totally looking at your stuff. Like, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's just a, it's a great, it's a great capsule, you know. It's a great capsule that can show a style, a story, uh, and, and, you know, uh, a property all at once. So tell us about your normal uh, work day. What is the... Okay, uh, so I co-work at Communion. Uh, Communion! Yeah, so uh, it's a great place. Uh, it, it's got a, a, a coffee shop, a cafe, and a co-working area. And then I work in the back in the dedicated co-working area, and I rent a little private office. Uh, so I work in a really small uh, office with, you know, I, and I like it this way. I'm not complaining. Like, it doesn't have windows or anything. I just go in. I basically, like... <laughs> entering comic world and I just get in there and work. Uh, I, I like to be uh, at work right after I take, I take my son to school. I go straight to work. Uh, I'm usually there by, you know, 9.30 in the morning. Uh, and I like to work all day till it's time to pick him up. And uh, then after dinner, I, if I'm on deadline, I go, back, I go back to work after dinner and work from like 8 to 1. Uh, it's like when you're on deadline, when you've got to get a book done, you're you're like on, you know, like it's like training for the Olympics. Like you can't skip a day. Like you just have to keep, keep going, keep going, keep going. But then like right now I'm in an, you know, I'm like in the off season basically. So I, I get to kind of relax a little bit until it's time to do another one. Did you get to work on fun stuff? Are you working, are you just dreaming, inspiration? Oh, I'm doing full on pre-production. Like I'm in, like I'm already tasked with the next book. Like, like I, I want, I want so much done before they're even asking for it, that, like, it will help me on the next production, the next you know? Pitch. Yeah. So you know what your next project is? Uh, I, have a pit, I have a pitch circulating with okay. the same publisher okay. that did The Dark. Yeah, I liked working with them. Uh, they, you know, extended an invitation to pitch, which, but to pitch my own stuff, which I don't actually, haven't really gotten too many of those. So uh, they have it right now. Uh, and just kind of waiting to see what happens. Well, we wish you great luck. Thank um, you very much. Any uh, questions from the audience? We have a couple minutes left. Hi. Hi. Um, so, it was actually really interesting learning that you 3D modeled all of those and stuff. Do you think that's uh, the direction where graphic novels and comics in general will be heading? I think it could. I think it could. 
more, more people have to learn how to do it first. Uh, I, I want to teach a little bit of it if I can, you know, not, not too formally, but like, uh, you know, if anyone who knows 3D wants to either help me make comics get done or wants to learn some comic techniques, like, hit me up. Like, uh, uh, it's very possible. I hope, I hope so. I mean, it's a little bit of an outsider's take at the moment, you know? Like, it, it's not going to necessarily, like, uh, it's not going to make you, like, the most comic book comic book guy in the world, you know, you're going to be an outlier until until things change a bit. But I like it. I like the freedom it offers, and I hope more people take it up. Over here, you mentioned the pen and ink work that you did in in college and before. Twenty five years later, are they teaching the skills that you're using today in the schools? Uh, they're teaching digital. So digital production minus paper of comics still being drawn, you know, uh, more or less in the same way, just with full digital tools. Uh, when, I, uh, when I went back, I went back to SCAD in 2008 to talk at a, at a, like a weekend symposium, and I, I, did, uh, I did a digital inking demo um, on, a, on, like, they had one Wacom monitor, uh, in the lab, they had a bunch of PCs for people to color, but they had one Wacom monitor, uh, and I taught a demo on it, and a bunch of people were like receptive. And then when I went back in 2011, they had they had replaced all the computers with with Wacoms. So I was like, okay, yeah, cool, all right, the rising tide is like happening. And so yeah, like uh, a lot of people are teaching digital, teaching uh, you know, n you know, new techniques, but. Uh, the 3D is its own. That's my own weird avenue that I've uh, decided to like take up. Uh, they teach that in 3D animation departments. You know, like if they ever start to, you know, merge a bit, start to marry, we could we could see some new stuff happening. Cool. So uh, so we're gonna end tonight as we always do at airtime with our top ten short questions. Okay. Um, I have not revealed these to him before this evening. So, uh, okay. question number one, pizza or hamburgers? Pizza. Number two, apples or bananas? Bananas. Number three, Batman or Superman? Batman. Number four, Dracula or Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Yeah, you thought I was going to go Dracula. <laughs> number five, Elvis or the Beatles? Oh, uh, Beatles. Number six, Nirvana or R.E.M.? Nirvana. Number seven, cats or dogs? Dogs. Number eight, drawing cats or drawing dogs? Drawing dogs. 3D modeling dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, villains with bombs or villains with biological weapons? Uh, biological weapons. And number ten, the greatest comic book character of all time. Uh, Tetsuo! Kaneda! <laughs> right. Pick one. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, please, everyone, please, uh, let's give a round of applause to our guest, Christian Donaldson. As Kitty said, uh, this is our penultimate, I love using that word, um, uh, session for uh, the spring of season 10. Next month in April, in April on April 14th, 
our final airtime of season 10. Our guest will be our very own Liz Conrad of Liz Conrad Design. Um, Liz does not just have great hair, she's also a, a, a marvelous artist, a graphic artist and designer who has this amazing layered storytelling collage-like work, which is just really beautiful. And the movie, quite appropriately, kudos to you, Kitty, is How to Make an American Quilt. So we hope you will see you next month. Thank you all for being here. <laughs>